This is the Bible Book Club, where each episode we dive deep into the only book written 2,000 years ago that can still change your life today. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club! In chapters 17 and 18 from last episode, we were classifying laws. You're back in law school. Little did you know, here we are. Ritual, civil, health, and moral laws. Then we were reading about all those kinds of laws that included their classifications, including the ones on blood, sex, child sacrifice, all the fun we had last episode. (laughs) And then we ended that episode by talking about how to apply that today. And we also applied some wise words that were the fulfillment of the law summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as Mm -hmm. yourself. Which is probably should be our quote for the week, because if you will remember, um, way back in the overview, I mentioned those words as my favorites. Those words were first spoken in the whole Bible in Leviticus 19, which is where we are this episode. And there is this really cool thread kind of tying everything we're learning together with the New Testament, and that thread comes from this verse. It is love. So think about this. At the top of our pyramid outline, it is in the show notes if you want to look at it, but we have a pyramid-shaped outline. At the top, the tip or turning point was atonement, which we covered in chapter 16. That point that brings the Israelites close to God as they can be. Remember, in atonement in that chapter is where they, once a year, the high priest got to enter the most holy place that was as close as they could get to the presence of God. So that's at the very top of our our outline. So if that's the point of the pyramid, if you'll remember, surrounded by this topic of atonement, we had ritual purity, or what we need to have a relationship with God before atonement on one side of the pyramid, and moral purity or how to have a relationship with people on the other. And that's where we are right now, moral purity. So as we were going through our outline, we did ritual purity, atonement, and then moral purity. In other words, the order of this middle section of Leviticus goes, love God, atonement, love your neighbor. This principle taught in Leviticus is central to what is taught in the New Testament. The New Testament states that the first and second greatest commandments are love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The only thing missing when comparing that New Testament verse to this Old Testament Leviticus is that atonement part in the middle. Oh, but wait a second. Why? Because we don't need that atonement part anymore. Jesus did all that atonement for us once and for all. So if we believe in Jesus, we don't need a day of atonement. All we have to do is focus on loving God and loving our neighbor. Does that make sense? Yes. You just make it sound so much easier than it is. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I know. All right, back to Leviticus. They still need that day of atonement. Uh, There's no Jesus yet. So we're going to continue with, remember, we already did ritual purity, atonement. Now we're working on moral purity, the practices 
and penalties. Now, we covered some practices last episode. We're going to continue with those. And then we're going to get to the penalties assigned to moral impurity is really what it is. And I think these penalties are something that I don't. I know I personally struggle with. A lot of people struggle with looking at God as this, I'm going to come down on you kind of wrath of mm-hmm. God. And mm-hmm. that's not really the image that we're that we're supposed to have of God, right? right? And and really, he was keeping the camp pure because he was setting them up as a healthy, holy nation. And so we're going to get into that a little. Again, it applied to the times. So first, let's start in chapter 19, are the laws or practices for holy living. Now, with these laws, God is calling Israel to live a life of holiness as an example to the world. We started these last week. Chapter 19, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This sentence we have to remember when we read everything else after, because this is what God is setting out for them to do. This is how he's going to lay out how to be holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And there really should be a transition sentence here, like, here's how you can be holy. It is a list of what you should do and what you should not do. And it starts with how to be holy with two of the Ten Commandments. Verse 3, each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. So nothing new there. We've heard this in the Ten Commandments. In fact, um, this is actually a transition point in the Ten Commandments that's inverted. They put the last commandment, number four, and then the first commandment is number five. So it's a little inverted. But what they're saying is they're really following that Leviticus ritual purity and moral purity because number four is about a, a, a right relationship with God and commandment five is about having a right relationship with people, starting with your closest neighbors, your parents. So you see what he's doing. He's moving us um, into this next part. All right, now the next one is how to be ritually holy. Verse five, when you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. All right, so we're moving into this discussion about how to have a relationship with people, and he's talking about the fellowship offering, of course, because that has to do with people. And he's, he's all he's saying is, offer and eat it. Don't delay. Do it right. Didn't you say in a previous episode that, that was a lot of that had to do with the fact that they didn't really understand science and how things could get spoiled? But oh, wasn't I'm sure it was some kind of protection in that way, you know, because it was always the best meat and everything, so... But this was God's law. All right, the next part, how to be socially and ethically holy. And this is a bunch of verses. Verse nine, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. I love this because you're going to hear a 
a lot about it in the Old Testament and even the New Testament. This was a practice they had to take care of the poor. This this law contributes to God's desire for justice and mercy for those who didn't have the means to really, you know, have their own land or a farm. It provided food for the poor, the widows, and the orphans. And it actually is in one of the, my favorite stories of all time. The story of Ruth is a beautiful example of this law in action, and we will get to it. Verse 11, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Nothing new there. These are super practical. These laws all point to the principle of honesty. And we know we need honesty to have a relationship with people. Honesty is also supported in the eighth and ninth of the Ten Commandments, do not steal and do not give false testimony against a neighbor. Verse 14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Again, we love these even today. Justice and mercy for all. Do not withhold or favor one kind of person over another. Okay, moving on. How to be holy in your heart toward your neighbor. Verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. So the ending right there to those, I am the Lord and keep my decrees is like putting an exclamation point at the end of this section. Love is the premise for God's commands. The popular choice of keyword for Leviticus is be holy as I am holy. And I get it. And I love that. It certainly makes sense. The phrase is reiterated often. Um, And it was a requirement to have a relationship with God, to be holy in his presence, you know, to be to be in God's presence, you had to be holy. So I get that. But why did God want to dwell among the Israelites? Well, isn't that why God created us to begin with? He created us to have a relationship because he was missing that connection, right? Well, because they were his people, his creation, like you said, and through them the Israelites, his son would be born and would save all people who believed in him. So in short, the reason God did this is because he loved them. He said, so be holy as I am holy and love your neighbor. Now, the New Testament reiterates this six times from Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, and James. Paul says it actually twice. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says it this way. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, we're reading a lot of laws these days in law school, and the prophets, they're coming <laughs> in the rest of the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. If we love God, We will strive to be holy as he is, to be set apart, to be a light for others who do not know him. And the greatest way to be a light 
is to love others. We discussed in the overview of Leviticus that this is why my keyword of choice is not like most of the commentaries, be holy as I am holy, but love your neighbor as yourself. Because this points to the New Testament. God wants us to be holy out of love for us and love for others. John explains it this way in 1 John 4, 16 and 19. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You hear it all the time. And so I hope it doesn't sound trite, but it said it right there. God is love. And relationships should be based on love. This is the premise for his entire plan. For the Israel of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant and for us living in the New Testament under the New Covenant, we are all bound together in the same plan under the same premise. And this actual example of love is even pointed out in in Jesus being the groom and the church being the bride of Christ. That's another kind of love. That's another reason that we just can't begin to even fathom why God created us in love is to be that bride of Christ for Jesus. Our covenant, the new covenant, is the fulfillment of Israel's covenant, the old covenant. And did you catch the final statement in Matthew 22 that that Heather read? All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the laws of old hang on the commandments to love God and love your neighbor. God's plan is eternal. Think about this. Remember these two verses that we have, I have pitted against each other as the theme for Leviticus. You know, be holy as I am holy and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this. This is Paul, Ephesians 1 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This began before creation. He had a plan for you, a plan to be holy and blameless, that is forgiven and redeemed from sin, holy in his sight, because he looks down on you through the covering of Jesus's blood. If you don't get that, listen to the last episode. Just as he had a plan for Israel laid out in the laws of Leviticus, to be holy as he is holy, to be purified and cleansed of sin, holy in his sight because he looked down on them through the covering of sacrificial blood. It's like we're watching the same movie over just with a totally different slant. Do you get that? It's it's the Old Testament versus the New Testament, but it all works together. Okay, continuing in our practices for holy living, how to be holy when mixing creation. Well, that's one way to put it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Verse 19. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. 
Deuteronomy 22, we're going to get to that, is going to explain the first two a bit more. But basically, God is asking his people to respect his creation, the plants and animals, just the way he created it. Now, the third law about weaving does not prohibit the mixing of two kinds of material, just the wearing, because mixed fabrics were reserved for the priestly garments, and that set them apart. So I wonder if God's kind of mad about those fruits that we've spliced together, you know? (laughs) No more. Okay. How to be holy sexually with another man's slave or servant. This is super specific and doesn't apply today, but I think it's very interesting. You guys are going to wish I was talking about bodily fluids today. (laughs) Verse 20. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because... She had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for the guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed and his sin will be forgiven. All I can think is they were just living in too close of quarters in these tents because the fact that this has made it into the Bible and it's so random, but I'm going to explain it. All right. Promised to a man, what she read, meant betrothed. And betrothed had more meaning than our engagement today. So let me explain. Betrothal was actually a legal contract and meant that the seller, I'm going to call it a seller um, in this case, because in this case, this person said it's a slave servant. So it was actually kind of an indentured servant. The seller, so the person who owned this woman, had promised or taken an oath that the woman was the buyer's, for lack of a better a better word, you know, the buyer, I'll call. And that the seller probably had received a gift for the girl. Now, that's what betrothal meant. So if you betrothed your daughter or a servant or a slave to somebody else, that was your right. All marriages were arranged back then. Then you usually, from the fiance received a gift, a bride price. Now, this meant the girl had been ransomed or now belonged to her betrothed because he had paid the price. And the act of having sex with another man would have been adultery. So if you were betrothed and had sex with another man, and this is why the whole story of Mary and Joseph was a big deal and why he could have had her stoned because she was betrothed to Joseph. That means he had paid for the bride price probably, and yet she was pregnant. And so it was assumed she had sex with another man. It wasn't. It was really the Holy Spirit. And I think it's confusing for us today just because our culture is so different. For us, if you're engaged, you're not yet married. But for them, it's basically the same as being engaged. Right. Almost the same as being married, even though they're not married yet. Right. Right. Now, in this case that was read, the girl was promised, but no gift had been given because it says she was not ransomed. So the laws of fornication apply instead of adultery. So the laws of adultery uh, of fornication said the other man has to marry her. If he took her bride price, he has to marry her. I mean, her bride gift, which would have been a virginity. But that meant that her owner broke his oath or promise to the first man. So while, while the... Um, The ransom part wasn't broken, the oath was, which meant that the Lord's name was profaned. See how complicated this gets? So the other man, 
the one who took her virginity, has to make a guilt or reparation offering to the Lord because an oath was broken. It also probably means that the other man had to make a gift or reparation for the damages to the girl that would have been the bride money if he had done if he had done things in the proper order and betrothed her first before he slept with her, he would have paid the bride money. Does that make sense? He's that to make is up. quite the tangled web. I know. It's complicated. It's complicated. And I don't know why such a specific example was given, but it well, must obviously, have happened a lot. Yeah, they needed that direction because yeah. it was going on. Clarification there. All right. Next, how to be holy when planting, because they are going to a new land. Verse 23, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden for three years. You are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat it as fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. The word forbidden here means uncircumcised, which is a strong way to suggest that it is rejected by God and not set apart, and therefore they are not to touch it for those first three years. The fourth year would have, would be the year of first fruits and offered to the Lord for the priests. So remember, that goes way back to Cain and Abel when Cain and Abel brought the first fruits of their harvest and their shepherd, their, their um, herds. All right, how to be holy by shunning pagan practices. This was very interesting. Verse 26, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. The reason I thought this was interesting is because I would have read these kind of individually when actually they all kind of go together. Um, We have covered eating blood, but here it implies that this practice was tied to divination, the practice of trying to seek out the future. That is what divination is. Think, you know, fortune telling, seances, calling on spirits. It was common in the cultures of the day because there was so much about science and life they didn't know. They kind of relied on divination. Now, certain haircuts, body cutting, and tattoos were tied to pagan practices for mourning the dead and also called ancestor worship. So that's why these are kind of all tied together. And they weren't saying don't ever cut your hair or anything, but they were saying, I guess it was a certain kind of cut that everybody knew you were kind of calling on your ancestors and practicing something. So haircuts and tattoos Tattoos today, at least those in our culture, Western culture, do not have any pagan association as they did in ancient cultures. So this is kind of something that was tied directly to that divination. I love that you brought that out because when we're reading through all these, that when you read something like that, it could be like, okay, well, I mean, how could this possibly apply to me today? But really, it was more about what was going on with the pagan practices of worshiping it was gods through divination. The way they were cutting their hair, it was the tattoos that they were getting. Um, Good, was, we can still get tattoos. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You're clear. I can still dye my hair pink if I want to. You can, and I miss your pink hair. <laughs> All right. How to be holy. And this is a smorgasbord. These are one-offs kind of lumped together. They, they don't really go together, so they are individual statements. 
verse 29, do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I loved this section because it did explain a lot to me. I wish I could go into it more, but whether a parent is motivated by greed or extreme poverty, because that does help happen, this problem still exists today. The International Labor Organization states that over 1 million children are victims of commercial sexual exploitation and that the majority are girls. That's a lot of children. That's just children. That doesn't include adults. And we know that in some uh, countries, this is done out of just extreme poverty. It's to eat. You know, you got to sell you got to sacrifice a child. It, and they really did equate it in the commentaries as a sacrifice thing. Like you have to sacrifice one to feed the rest. This is in the case of poverty. In other cases, it is just greed. It's flat out people who don't love their neighbor or their children. And they, they simply sell them. So moving on to the rest of the smorgasbord. Verse 30, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So you notice all of these were punctuated by I am the Lord your God, which of course has meaning. All of these should be somewhat self-explanatory to us. We've covered them before. The Sabbath holiness is laid out in the fourth commandment. And of course, don't try to reach out to the dead through divination. King Saul is going to try this in 1 Samuel with the witch of Endor, and it's not going to go well. Of course, respect your elders. This is not just a saying your parents made up. It is biblical. (laughs) Um. Care for the foreigners. They are disadvantaged and often oppressed. Perhaps this could be a guide for us to our immigration laws. And lastly, be fair in business. Verse 37, keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. So that punctuation, I am the Lord. In other words, God is saying here, do all of the above, what we just read, and you shall be holy as I am holy. And when I say all of it, I mean all those verses we've covered so far in this episode. And oh, by the way, I am the Lord your God. This phrase is said a dozen times just in this one chapter. The Israelites would have known why it was important to them. Exodus 6, 16, 20, all say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from Egypt. God is once again reminding them of their miraculous redemption, a sure motivation to them to at least try to be holy. Okay, so God is saying in all of this, you know, be holy as I am holy. And again, that that tie to love your neighbor as yourself, love God, love your neighbor, at least try. So 
how can we be holy today? That was then, that was Leviticus. But what about today? Well, God had two ways for the Israelites to be holy that can be applied to us even today. One, be holy by imitating God. We know that. And that's what he's trying to say to them. You know, I can't, I can't do impurities. You got to be pure. I can't handle sin. You got to be, you know, sinless and you got to atone for your sin. And then two, be holy by obeying his laws. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is Peter saying, nothing has changed. Just as in Leviticus, God said, obey my laws and be holy as I am holy. Today, it still applies. Obey his laws, all the prophet and the laws hang on these two commands, and be holy as I am holy. Nothing new under the sun. It's the same thing, just a different movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, you quoted like Old Testament, New Testament, back to the Old Testament, back to the New Testament. You would think these all go together. They do. Okay, we have uh, covered all the practices for moral purity. Now we're going to talk about the penalties. It's not a pretty picture for these people when they break a law. We're going to start in chapter 20, which focuses on the penalties that come from the law broken in chapter 18. We covered 19 in this episode, but go back to last episode 18. And the penalties are imputed according to the gravity of the transgression. For example, the sin of giving a child to Moloch in chapter 18 is assigned the penalty of death in this chapter, chapter 20. So here are the types of penalties that are going to be given. I'm going to give you some classifications. Burning with fire. Now, this does not mean that they were burnt alive, but their bodies were burnt after they were killed. Stoning. Stoning was for crimes, which are offenses against religion and morals. Okay, death. Now, this is for when it doesn't mention stoning. It could have been strangling was was what most of the commentaries felt it was. All right, another one, being cut off from their people. This was interesting. It could be death or excommunication. And then held responsible, which is kind of an interesting translation, but the best they could do, means that the the man continues in the state of a criminal uh, until he has been cleansed, either by suffering the punishment of his offense or making atonement for it, which sometimes he might, sometimes he might not do. Then childlessness, I never would have guessed this. It probably meant that the offender's children would not be counted as his own, but would be entered in the genealogy as his uncles or his brothers. So remember, when we finish the genealogy of Genesis going into Exodus, this land territory thing, this tribe importance, it was all very important to track, even though we're up to like almost 2 million people, who came from who came from whom. And in this case... If you were, if you broke a law and the consequence was childlessness, your kids were cut off from you in the genealogy. They were attributed to somebody else, which for them, which would have been really harm, harmful because that 
probably meant they were losing some land in the process. Yeah, they wouldn't have their inheritance, right? They wouldn't have access to it. Correct. But they would have access to the inheritance then of the uncle? Yes, but they it would have the pie would have been sliced in bigger pieces then. Mm -hmm. You know, so you you were basically getting it cut out. Which they were early adopters, so they're kind of in on the cutting edge of the deal. You know, you get in on the cutting edge of a deal, you get a bigger piece of the pie. I don't know. Who knows? Okay, so here are the penalties for sin. Okay, and can you remind me, Malek, when you're referring to Malek, that's mm-hmm. that's a god, like it was one a, of the gods. It was a foreign false god, yes, that they did the child sacrifice. We talked about it last episode. Okay, chapter 20. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Malek is to be put to death. The members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people. For by sacrificing his children to Malek, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Malek, and if they fail to put him to death, I myself will set my face against him and his family and will cut them off from their people together with all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Malak. Death by stoning and the family is cut off from the genealogy. This is a pretty stiff consequence. And additionally, if the other Israelites who live in the community do not stone the offender, like maybe it was a really close family friend, then they too will be cut off. So this is really, really stiff. Continuing in verse six, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spirits to prostitute themselves by following them, and I will cut them off from their people. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death because they have cursed their father or mother. Their blood will be on their own head. Okay, so pretty clear again, death. When it says blood on their own head, it also implies death. So cursing your mother and father here, like I thought, oh, that's pretty stiff for cursing your mother and father. These are not little children. These are adult children. Remember, even adult children sometimes lived with you. But again, there's this genealogy going on and there's this teaching um, of the parent and the honoring the mother and the father as a commandment. And so it is a breaking of the commandment as an adult to rebel against your parent. And they need to be put out of the community. Okay, penalties for sex. Verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. If a man has sexual relations with his father's wife, he has dishonored his father, both man and woman are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with his daughter-in-law, both of them are to be put to death. What they have done is a perversion. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries both a woman and her mother, it is wicked. Both he and they must be burned in the fire so that no wickedness will be among you. If a man has sexual relations with an animal, he is to be put to death and you must kill the animal. If a woman approaches an animal to have sexual relations with it, kill both the woman and the animal and they are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries his sister, the daughter of either his father or his mother, and they have sexual relations, it is a disgrace. They are to be publicly removed from their people. He has dishonored his sister and will be held responsible. 
If a man has sexual relations with a woman during her monthly period, he has exposed the source of her flow, and she has also uncovered it. Both of them are to be cut off from their people. Do not have sexual relations with the sister of either your mother or your father, for that would dishonor a close relative. Both of you would be held responsible. If a man has sexual relations with his aunt, he has dishonored his uncle. They will be held responsible. They will die childless. If a man marries his brother's wife, is it an act of impurity? He has dishonored his brother. They will be childless. That was a lot of the death sentence. Um, And a couple are even burned after the death sentence. A few are just cut off. A few are held responsible. And a few cut out of the genealogy. Okay, I'm not going to say anything more about it because I want you to get to the next part and really listen to this. Verse 22, keep all my decrees and laws and follow them so that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the custom of the nations I'm going to drive out before you. Because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. You must therefore make a distinction between the clean and unclean animals and between clean and unclean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or by anything that moves along the ground. Those that I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. A man or a woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. All right. We we travel, go back to the pyramid of the outline. We were traveling up the pyramid, and we talked about ritual and purity. So I hope you heard the words that Heather read. This is a perversion. This is detestable. This is a disgrace. This is an act of impurity. That's how these things were described. And so there is this concept, remember, we have of you have to be pure to be in the presence of God because death is not something he can touch. And and the consequences of sin are death. So sin and death are tied together. So all of this is, is detestable to God. And so he's calling them, remember, to be holy as he is holy. And that's why it's hard for us to understand today. Why have the people of Israel put each other to death? It just doesn't sound like loving your neighbor. So here are the possibilities I want you to think of. So they could be holy. How many times have you heard that in these verses? Be holy as I am holy. I am the Lord your God. Be holy as I am holy. How does one become holy? Obey the laws, ritual laws, and purity laws. And if you don't obey the laws, there's a consequence. And the consequence of sin is death. How about this? So they would be deterred from the temptation to break the laws by fear. If you know that you're going to die for doing something, you're going to think twice about it. And your kids are going to think twice. And their kids are going to think twice. And the generations are going to think to come are going to think twice. Because guess what it said? I'm vomiting out the people of Canaan so that you can inhabit because you're going to be different. So we're talking generations and generations and generations have to adhere to these. How about this? So they would have accountability within this new community. If they know the laws, they can hold each other accountable. So there was no police force. There was no army. They had to hold each other accountable to these laws. 
And if they, they could only do that if they knew them very clearly and they knew what the penalty was. No discussion. There's no co- court system here. They're about to pack up their tents and roam, roam the desert. There's no jail. There's no court system except, you know, he did appoint judges. Remember back in Jethro and Exodus, there are judges, but they don't have a lot of time to sit around and, and litigate. How about this reason? So they would understand what Adam and Eve failed to understand in the fall, that death is the consequence of sin. Every time in their community somebody died for committing one of these, the whole community knew there is a consequence to sin. We must remain pure. It sounds really harsh to us, but I think it it was effective for them. And it was all they had. There were no prisons. So what other consequence could they have given? Here's something, again, that I struggle with in Mm -hmm. these texts. It's irrefutable that murder is prohibited. It is a sin. Mm -hmm. But then here is God commanding them to murder people who commit these sins. Mm -hmm. Who is the one who has to then execute that? And I understand it's what God's telling them to do, but then isn't that also considered murder? And I think... When you addressed a second ago, how do the people of Israel, you know, you're you're referring to the current um, difficulties and the current war that is going on in Israel. Both sides thinks that they're right, and they think that they've been divinely appointed to execute. do the execute the bloodshed that they're executing right now. So, how do you discern that? So, war today is different, and again, I'm I'm not going to go into that one because I do have to really study that. But at this point in Israel's history and still today, they're a theocracy. So at this point, the priests are actually all in one. They're they're everything. They they actually do a lot of the discerning because there were cases like the one we read about the servant who who um, who commits adultery or fornication, as it was. You know, there there were cases like that that were brought before the priests. The priest decided everything. So in this case, it's a theocracy. And therefore, everything is tied to the law of God. So if the priests actually had to do the strangulation, it would have been not murder. It would have been you are executing God's law, which is one in the same as the nation. Today, we have, you know, the country's laws versus as believers, we try to follow God's law. They're two different things. Now, I would hope that we live in a country that does not have laws that oppose the laws of God, but we do. And so we hold ourselves to a little higher standard in many cases as believers. Does that make sense? I think I probably answered a little bit, but in in your question, was it murder? No, it wasn't murder because they were executing the law of God. I think it's a really hard concept. To it's grasp. hard. And that's why stoning was actually all of them. You couldn't say one right. person killed him. It was the community doing it, which, which is a brutal way to die. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find it also a little bit interesting that God felt the need in some of the previous chapters in Leviticus that we read to go into grave detail about certain things that, which um, when you do this sacrifice, you're supposed to sprinkle the blood seven times, you're supposed to do this, and then he just 
doesn't give any details about who's supposed to actually do these executions yeah. and how they're supposed to do it with respect to something like this. It's just so they had Moses living among them, the voice of God, you know, who was actually um, kind of tapped into a lot of things that probably didn't get written down. Poor guy had to write down a lot as it was, in my opinion, yeah. the whole Torah, 80,000 words. So, oh, so you think he did tell him, but <laughs> Moses was keeping that part to himself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they had the, this built in priesthood that passed it down from father to son. So it probably didn't all have to be written down. You know, it was trained into them. I will say God had commanded the Israelites to be holy. And part of holiness is removing the sin and purifying the space. Remember, we talked about that tabernacle, the space from sin. You had to atone for the sin, but you also had to purify the space around it that was contaminated from the sin. And God didn't want Israel to live like the nations. Remember that he was going to vomit them out to live like those who were already living in Canaan. So the nations in Canaan about to be vomited out, just like God said Israel would be if they weren't holy as he is holy. So God is saying in that verse you read, if you're not holy like I'm holy, you're going to be vomited out too. I am looking for somebody to be different, God is saying, to be set apart. And that was the goal, to be that light for the world, that set apart nation that could set an example for the rest of the world. But we're going to read, Israelites are going to fail at this. And they actually are vomited out and exiled from the land in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And then we go through that whole lesson. So um, this is why what I spoke of earlier, the ultimate plan is for Jesus to take away that whole atonement thing and the 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 laws that we had to be pure because we just can't do it. And so he knew he knew that we needed a savior. I think one point that can bring a little more clarity here is our hope. Our hope <laughs> is when God was talking, if you look back at all the two sections that we just read, both the instructions for how to live according to God, to love your neighbor, at the end of a lot of those, he was saying, I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. And then Trust. contrast that by the punishments. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that anymore. Right. And so the thing is, God loves people, but he hates sin. Mm-hmm. And it just gives a lot more hope because he's bringing the positive in yeah. that live this way and be you holy because this. I'm holy. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are consequences for sin and some of them are dire. Right. And I think it's him illustrating that he's not delighting in that. It's not something that he enjoys, but it's just a part of life that is a fact. Right. And where would we all be if there was never a consequence? We, would, we, we need boundaries. Well, here is more good news. Today, God uses what we discussed in Leviticus to figuratively put to death what is unholy, but it's it's no longer a sentence. So Paul in Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self 
which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The Israelites at this time in Leviticus were looking forward to the hope that we now have in Jesus and the thread that ties what they were hoping for and what we now have, that thread is love. It just keeps weaving in and out of every passage, Old Testament and new. The burden to be holy is now on us, not the Israelites. There is no casting stones at others. We have to police our own hearts and we must put on love. And that is not easy. And so if you have been convicted as we're reading any of these instructions from God today, the ask then is just, would you prayerfully consider what you might need to take action on? How to be holy as he is holy. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.